Hello and welcome to Popcast, your guide to what's popping off in the live music industry with the people behind it. Each month, we'll be chatting with promoters, festival owners, and venue directors to hear their thoughts on the latest trends in the industry and their advice for you. So welcome, I'm uh, Greg Patterson, I'm the Director of Music and Live Events at Eventbrite, and I'm sitting here with Graham Williams from Austin, Texas, with a long history in the music industry here, but currently with Margin Walker Presents, a brand new uh, endeavor. Uh, Graham, please uh, say hi. Hey, how's it going? Good, man. Thanks for sitting down with us and, and talking. Um, I know that you, you know, you're very busy, you're launching a new company, and you're booking a new festival, so we really appreciate you know the time. Yeah, for sure. So you've been in Austin. You're an Austin native, right? Like yep. From here. Born and raised. You're a very rare breed. I am. I'm a unicorn. I, I've <laughs> met like, I could probably count on one hand the amount of people I've met born in Austin. I've been going seeing bands since I think I was eight or so. I think it was my first show, Motley Crue, Girls, Girls, Girls Tour. It's a good one. Yeah. My first punk show was probably a couple of years later. It was either Dead Meltman or Fugazi. I think it was Dead Meltman when I was in sixth grade. So did your parents take you to the Motley Crue Girls, uh, Girls, Girls, My Girls sister, Girls? my older sister's boyfriend liked Whitesnake, who was opening. So I, I begged my parents to let them take me and begged her to take me. And my mom was like, oh, that band is sexist. Uh, they were kind of hippies. And I was like, oh, no, no, it's, it's not at all. I baked her a cake. And I wrote her a long letter explaining that I didn't listen to the lyrics, only the music. Um, <laughs> and uh, if she would please, please let me uh, let me go. And um, she was right. Uh, the lyrics to Girls, 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 which are about strippers uh, and all their favorite strip clubs. They name every strip club they like uh, the same way that like country bands will call out uh, oh, from Nashville to Austin to Chicago, you know, in live. Like they did that with every strip club in the song. So the whole song's like at the body shop in the bar. It's <laughs> like they sing strip club names throughout the song. In retrospect, it, it oh, is gross. Absolutely. <laughs> like, uh, but... Um, that song had Wild Side on it, and Tommy Lee had a drum set that spun upside down. So why wouldn't an eight-year-old want to see that? So, uh, yeah. And then I saw them on their final tour many years later, just a couple of years ago. Uh, and it was so sad and pathetic. And Vince Neil was overweight and uh, having to catch his breath. And uh, and the, it was the most funny show ever. So it was funny to watch them come full circle. But that yeah. was my first like concert, I think, when I found those bands. It was kind of like... I don't know, being able to talk to a guitarist after a show and ask him about the record, you know, like, or like, feel like you were part of this community all of a sudden. It was like, this is so different than like stadium bands. And in Austin, there was a lot of that. There felt like there were lots of cool clubs and lots of bands and people would come through all the time. And I don't know, I think immediately I was drawn to that when I was young and wanted to be involved in music in some way. Uh, I didn't think I'd work in it. I just assumed I'd play in a band or something. And you did that, right? Like you played, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, so how did you end up? How do you end up here? Like, how do you end up you know, on the booking side? Was it like one point you made the choice, like I'm gonna start booking, or mm -hmm. do you just kind of accidentally just find yourself one day that you? Uh, I get, when I was in high school, I played in a band, and there weren't a lot of all ages rooms in Austin. Like the only places that were all ages were uh, really big, like Liberty Lunch, like twelve hundred cap, like venues and then you know beyond that if it was all the clubs were 21 and up they were bars so it was really hard to play shows if you're a band and you're you know a younger band 
Plus, there wasn't like a really vibrant punk scene here. I mean, there was for like bigger stuff, but there wasn't like a huge underground scene that was real active. Um, the, the one all ages club I used to go to in junior high where like Gigi Allen got arrested and stuff. That club called the Cavity had closed. So there weren't everything else, even emos in the beginning wasn't all ages. So when I was in high school, and I played in bands and friends of mine were in bands. If you wanted to do a show, you had to set up a show somewhere. So there was like a, a recreation center and a VFW hall and like a few places you could yeah. rent out and bring the PA and you work the door and all your friends would just do the show. You never made money. If you, if you covered your costs, that was cool. If there was a touring band that you know, they got gas money and they'd stay at your house. Uh, and as I got a little older doing that, like later in high school, maybe like junior, fresh senior year, um, there was also that at the time maximum rock and roll, uh, which was an old fanzine had a offshoot called book your own fucking life. Yeah, very I'm sure you it. remember. Yeah. Uh, and you know, if you booked a tour that you would pick that up and you'd plan your tour, each page was like a different city or state and it would have all these phone numbers for various people. You it, could was call. Like, it was like a phone book, but right. it had like places to eat, right, places right. to stay, exactly. like people's people, houses. People who would put on shows and you would just call whoever in each city and say, yeah. Hey, I'm going on tour. We're coming to Phoenix. Do you, can you, could you set up a show? Do you know anywhere we can play? And they'd be like, yeah, there's a coffee house. Let me check. And that's how you booked a, if you didn't have an agent, that's how punk bands book tours. Um, but, but it's very legit though. Yeah. So oh, yeah. In, in our experience, I met, you know, that's how I met Connor Oberst from uh-huh. Bright Eyes. That's how I met the G Mate world guys. Yeah. They were in that book. Yeah, exactly. Which is crazy. But, but, um, but even like pretty respectable bands at yeah, that yeah. point had the, like I remember Davey from Promise Ring was booking them when they could still sell out clubs. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, for weird. sure. I think, yeah. you know, they place, it was interesting. There was this whole weird recreation center coffee house scene of yeah. venues because so few bar owner venues wanted any of these young bands, uh, but they had big, following followings you know these people wanted to go see these artists yeah that's great so i started doing shows when i was in high school like that at a necessity never made money at it never thought I, you could make money at it i mean if any if you're lucky the bands made money but even that was rare touring bands you all you cared about is getting some money to them um i would book bands because i was in book your own fucking life so people would call me um it was way before email obviously uh first big show I did was actually Jimmy World through through Book Your Own Fucking Life too. That was an like an actual agent called me. That was like weird. A booking agent. I never done I got a contract. He's like, I just signed it's not a big deal. <laughs> he was he was very understanding with my naivety. Um and I remember like they wanted me to make more flyers than I normally do. And I was like, I don't I, I didn't have a budget for promo in the deal because I it was just I'm just giving them all the door money. I don't I never made money on a show. I never thought about budgeting. He's like, well just spend money and the la- they own a major label now, so the label will pay for it. I was like, oh, wow, that's crazy. So I spent like $50 on flyers. And then the label like tried to stiff me. They were like, uh, well, they spend minerals on the bill, and we don't know who they are. And like, well, they are who Jimmy World wants to open. Well, we only promote Jimmy World as a label, so we're not going to reimburse you for, because you wrote the band Mineral on the show on the fire <laughs> so i had to call the agent the agent had to call the label i was like that's like half my rent <laughs> like like you know fifty dollars like from the room I it's just, like 25 dollars yeah, that they're yeah. trying to haggle over here yeah so they, they finally paid me but that was my first that's like, amazing actual agent show but yeah I, it was weird i just did diy shows to do it i didn't enjoy it to be honest like i didn't have fun doing shows i just did shows because i had like i put out records too i put out 
records for a few different bands. I didn't, I never did it to make money. I just did it because what else are you going to do? Like someone's got to put these shows on. Someone's got to get our records out. As long as I can break even, it's my hobby. I'll, I'm sure I'll work at a Seven Eleven, and then I'll go on tour when my band has an EP out. Like, you know, like when I would do that whenever I never thought about doing it as a living. Um, and then I got a job at Emo's. It was really just like, here you go. Here are the keys. I didn't know what I, what I was doing. Um, because I've been booking DIY shows for so long. So to have to start booking a legit club and taking money at the door and paying the bands. And um, and even then, Emos was run pretty ghetto. I mean, like looking back now, like we know, I don't, I never wrote anyone a check. I don't think ever. I mean, not towards like, my last few years, maybe last two or three years I was there, we started maybe doing checks, but it was like, we didn't even have a ticket. We didn't even do tickets. Like you had to pay cash at the door, no matter who was playing. I mean, if Modest Mouse plays, it was five bucks at the door and you took the cash and there was no tax taken out. There was no ASCAP BMI, like licensing. It was just a very, very old school way of doing things. And, uh, but I learned a lot about music. Um, I saw a million bands. Like my, yeah, that was definitely like college for me because I didn't go to college. So that was, that was my schooling was going you know, working at Emos for so long. Just, it was such a diverse club. How long were you at Emos? Almost a decade. I think I booked for like seven, seven or eight years. And that was like the heyday of, of Yeah, Emos. yeah. Like, it was probably, it's, I mean, depending. Some The old school folks will say it was the early days when, you know, Johnny Cash famously played there during South By, which is legendary. And then I left to start Transmission. I started Fun, Fun, Fun first. Um, I did it with uh, the Alamo Draft House. Look. And me produced it the first year. And it was sort of out of necessity as well. Same thing. Yeah, almost so much of what I've done has just been like, someone's got to do it. I was booked at Emo's that weekend. I remember we had Cannibal Corpse one night and Bouncing Souls the next. So we were booked and Circle Jerks needed a show. Then I got a call, Peaches needed a show. It's like, God, I have all these acts that can sell out Emo's and I'm not booked in the music capital of the world. I'm sure we can put them somewhere. So I hit them up and was like, you guys want to try and do like a festival, like an all-day show? Because I have a bunch of great bands that I think would bring a lot of people out. But... You know, we don't have anywhere for them to play. So that's how it was born. It was just kind of made it happen. It did okay. A few thousand people showed up. We covered all our costs. Everyone loved it. And, you know, I had always thought, like, Austin doesn't have a cool festival. You know, there aren't a ton of cool festivals anyway. But in Austin at the time, there was just ACL. So at the time, it felt like, why don't we have something different? Like something for the kids in the scene as opposed to something for our parents. And that was the idea behind the festival and kind of why we started doing it. So... About a year, not even a year later, six or seven months later, I left Emos. It's, uh, people would all agents would always hit me up at Emos and be like, "Dude, can you do this band at this club or that club? That band doesn't want to play Emos, but we'd rather work with you as a promoter. I don't want to do it with this promoter, that promoter, but we don't want to do it at Emos." And I worked for Emos, so I couldn't step out of the room. So I would always have to turn people down, and then I'd lose that relationship occasionally, or that band might want to do something with someone else. So it always seemed silly because I would travel to go see other festivals. And so I started doing the festival and, you know, New York had Bowery and LA had Golden Voice and all these other places had promotion companies that they shows at clubs, not at one club. Like they weren't beholden to one specific place. At some point it was like, man, I've been, it's like renting a house and adding a second floor and painting it and decorating it and putting new windows in. And you're like, I don't own this house. Why did I just spend a hundred grand fixing this house? <laughs> uh, that's how the club was. We treated it like it was our club. You know, we cared about the art and the, the name recognition and everything, even though none of us owned it. And the guy who owned it could care less about it. So we finally were like, man, 
this, this, for me, it felt like this is a good opportunity maybe to do something else. So when I was a kid, I just wanted people to go to shows. Like I would make flyers for shows that I had nothing to do with and put them around town because I wanted the show to be bigger. Like if I had a friend who was working at Kinko's, oh, I'd take a flyer off a pole, go to the Kinko's, have them make copies and put more up because I didn't see enough flyers for that show because I knew, man, that's going to, it's going to suck the stage dive of that show if there aren't more people there. Uh, when I was a kid, like I genuinely just wanted more are seeing to grow and there to be more music and there to be more stuff happening. And so I think like more people means we can grow the things we like. We just have to protect them at the same time. There's a balancing act and like no one was watching us now. Now there's a lot happening and, and, and it's, it's harder to do, but there's also a lot more to pull from that didn't exist. You know, so more people can be a good thing for all the local businesses and the cool restaurants and bars and boutiques and vintage stores and record stores. Like, they're all thriving to a degree because of it, but they're also facing high rent challenges. So I don't know. It's, you just got to take the good with the bad and work around it. Yeah. So fast forwarding a little bit, you know, obviously we'll talk about the, we'll talk about the future and I want to be respectful of uh, your time. Um, so yeah, so you, you did the transmission thing for about 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. When uh, I left Emos, we started transmission and yeah, uh, maybe nine years we did it, uh, but originally it was just Mohawk. Then we had a Red 7 and had some more venues. And by the end, uh, you guys were in San Antonio. And- yeah, yeah. I mean, we did it very ourselves. Every time we do Fun, 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 it was mainly Fun, Fun, Fun Fest that sort of spurred this conversation. But, you know, when we're doing a festival that costs a couple million dollars to produce, if we lose money, then we're selling our houses and moving back in with our parents, you know. So at some point it was like we need a financial backer, and that was to – to keep doing a festival. So we were kind of looking for a partner who wanted to invest. And so I want to say a year, like six or seven of transmission, we ended up partnering with uh, Stratus Properties, this guy, Bo Armstrong, and uh, they owned the W Hotel, which had the ACL Live venue in it. And we were doing a lot of shows at ACL Live and they were liking the shows we were doing. And I think they were wanting to do some more cultural stuff like, uh, stuff that tied in there, you know, cause they're a real estate company doing development stuff. And the fact that they had a venue and a hotel, I think they wanted to tie into some of the more music centric stuff in the city. So they kind of, you know, came in as a third partner, handled some funding stuff and we worked with them for a few years. Uh, and then it, you know, it just went the way it went where you've got, you know, one group of people that, kind of wanted to do something else and then a group of people that wanted to continue doing what we did. And for me, that was live music and booking shows and, and booking festivals. And uh, they were more interested in doing more private events and kind of cutting out all the live music element and starting to do corporate events, private dinners, more, more client based stuff. And uh, so we just kind of split off and, and left to start, uh, start Marjorie Walker just a couple months ago. Um, and yeah, we took most of the staff, left to come work with us to keep doing shows. All the contracts we have are with the same venues. And we had just uh, a couple of years ago, it was transmission started expanding into Dallas and San Antonio and doing other cities outside of Austin. And so when we left, we took that half of it and then said, let's go, let's keep doing what we do and let's grow what we do. Like we love doing shows. There's so many other cool cities in Texas that have, you know, the ability to do shows as well and have scenes there that, want us to bring those bands through. So, uh, yeah, we kind of hit the ground running. I mean, like immediately just things started growing really, really quickly over the last few months. And we launched our new festival because we're no longer involved with Bum Bum Bun Fest. Even though I started it, founded it, booked it, <laughs> made it, 
it was my baby for 10 years. Moody was heavily involved with all the marketing stuff and branding, you know, part of, you know, when you get divorced, I guess we got the kids and I got the house. So, uh, but you know, we shook hands and, and walked away and, um, I honestly don't know what they're doing with the festival. So we just said, well, let's keep doing what we do and come up with a new idea. So that was, that was the impetus for starting sound on sound fest, which I love, you know, that, uh, you picked another big boy song. Yeah. That's the name. Yeah. Which I went and listened to it and realized that it's a job. I thought, I thought it was a job box song for the past 20 years. Right. Apparently. Right. It's yeah. Like, they cover it. Yeah. And so now it's, it's, it's at a Ren fair. Yep. Like, like there's castles. I mean, yeah. there'll be some jousting. Oh yeah. We, uh, uh, yeah, that was another idea. I mean, part of it was like, we want to keep doing what we love. We want to take the spirit of fun, fun, fun and reimagine it, but the same kind of band, same fan, same concept. The lineup was great. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I'm stoked on the, on how it came together. Um, but in addition to that, it was like, you know what, like, what can we do differently? And we looked at a few different locations and this is by far our favorite, um, a few various reasons why we, we picked it, but the main one being, yeah, it's a Ren fair. Like, you know, I, I always wanted to do that. I always wanted to take over a Ren fair, something just ridiculous. Like, I mean, I would love to take over an amusement park and do a festival there too. Like, like to think like, what can you do that isn't a field with some stages and bands? Like I, I go to festivals, 10 festivals a year. They're all the same festival. Like the bands might be better or worse on, but they're essentially the same thing. And you really got to bring a lot to make a festival look Interesting, you know, the Coachellas of the world spend, I have no idea. What is, what do you think Coachella spends a couple million dollars on their art and their lighting and their, uh, all the yeah, crazy least, stuff? Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's beautiful. Which is like your entire budget. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the budget of our entire festival just on art. Uh, so we can't do that. Um, but we can say, what do we do that's different? You know, I mean, there's festivals like, not my cup of tea, but like Hangout Fest or something. Maybe that, I'm not that in the lineup necessarily or, or that much of it, but a festival on a beach with the ocean, that's beautiful. Yeah, what a great idea. Yeah. Um, Primavera, in, in, which is a great lineup um, in Spain, like they took over this park on the beach that was built for the Olympics. So they built this insane park for the Olympics that has all these weird structures that were built around Olympic Games. So to put a festival in this weird setting with these crazy, you know, slanted areas that you know, rise up and fall all over the place that were built to to have like races down, actually make a perfect setting for a festival. So finding a great setting has always been something we've wanted and and kind of been lacking. And to find a place, yeah, with a castle and a jousting arena and stockades, and it was just hilarious. And uh, yeah, it's around the time they're off season. So we're like, can we rent your rent fair and have a show here? Uh, yeah, I'm sure we're going to be doing a lot of ridiculous stuff. And I'm sure it'll be our version of it too. Like we were like, we should do BMX jousting, like with all the <laughs> BMX and skate, because we have ramps and stuff at the festival. So things like that, like we want to kind of mix it up and do some crazy stuff uh, the way we envision it. I mean, I think that's exactly right to your point, because you're seeing, you know, like I've, I've gone to a lot of festivals and the lineup is what makes them unique, but the lineups are becoming more similar. Yeah. You know, you're seeing the same bands at pretty much every right, festival. Right. Um, and then, yeah, they're a park or something with some fence. I mean, it's essentially the same event unless like there's some sort of uniqueness. So I'm very excited. When you guys said you're doing it there, I'm very excited to see how that Thanks. Yeah, I am too. I'm going to take some jousting classes or something. Do it. Well, you know, I, I want to, uh, you know, obviously I, I took way more of your time today probably than, than either of us anticipated, but it's always a pleasure uh, getting to sit down and chat. So, yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time. Too. To Thank that. you. That's fun, man. I'm glad we get to, yeah, get we to do chat this. on the mic. For other episodes of Popcasts and other trends and tips for live music promoters, check out the Eventbrite blog 
We'd like to thank Ghostwave for sharing their song, Blues Signal 79, with us for this episode.